Fitness is your ability to cope with and recover from stress. And the best way to level up both your mental and your physical fitness is by making small but powerful changes to your daily habits and routines. With this podcast, I aim to bring you a combination of short educational solo casts and slightly longer conversations I've had with a wide variety of fascinating people. The goal? To help you develop a lifestyle which supports your mental and physical fitness and improves your overall quality of life. My name is Jay Unwin. Welcome to FitBody FitMind. Welcome back to Fit Body, Fit Mind. And today I have with me Dr. Alan Desmond, who is a gastroenterologist and author of the brand new book, The Plant-Based Diet Revolution, which is out on the 7th of January. How are you doing today? I'm great, Jay. Thanks very much for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate it. Mate, thank you so much for uh, being so generous with your time and coming on for a chat. So first thing to get into, as I tend to do with most people that I uh, that I chat to on here, is really get an idea of what your philosophy around fitness and well-being and all of that good stuff is. So how, how do you approach well-being and fitness and health? Gosh, well, I guess we, we're definitely going to spend some time talking about food. Yep. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave that out of it for a second. And the way I approach, approach things really is this whole concept of just not being attached to the outcome. Okay. I'm like I'm in my early 40s now, so that I'm not hitting the gym to, you know, get great abs or, you know, great pecs or whatever. I'm just I, I just want to be fit. I want to be well. I want to feel balanced. I want to feel healthy. Um, so that's my approach. I mean, I, I try to build physical exercise and fitness and early to bed and early to rise into my routine uh, seven days a week. It's not always possible. I've got a really busy job. I've got three young kids. So compromises have to be made, obviously. But uh, yeah, that's my approach, really, not to be attached to the outcome. Just make it your routine. Um, Same with food. You know, we're not on a diet. We're we're, we're just doing something routine that's going to benefit us in the long term. I think that uh, it's really important for people to to understand how rubbish humans are in general at long-term thinking. And when we attach uh, attach our kind of behaviours to a, this, this outcome, which is far off in the distance, it becomes really quite challenging to maintain that. Whereas, like you said, if you approach it on a kind of daily basis, this is just how I live, um, it can be, it, it becomes much simpler and much more of a smooth transition, I find. Yep, it's absolutely just making it routine. And it's not like you're... You're, you're getting fit for Christmas or you're getting fit for the holiday or yeah. you're eating a certain way because you want a certain result ASAP. It's just about building it in. And, and what you find, of course, with time is that if you eat well and you get enough sleep and you push yourself physically um, several times a week and you just make that into your routine – then it starts to pay dividends, you know, and if, if that is, if none of those things are part of your routine right now, you'll find that within three, six, nine, 12 months, you'll start to get those compliments and people will react to your positivity and it'll pay dividends in the long term. I mean, we know, I mean, a lot of people look at the short term aspects, right? But we know there's a lovely study published here in the UK last year. Um, looking at health in people in the UK. And and sadly, in the UK, we're not living in a very healthy country. Um, We've got a lot of chronic disease, a lot of problems with our health in this country. But among people living in the UK, those of us who eat the most most plant-forward diet, the most plant-based diet, those of us who exercise regularly, maintain um, a slim waistline, don't smoke, and who keep their alcohol consumption low, Um, below the uh, recommended limits, um, those are all very healthy things to do, right? But we know from a study published earlier this year that for the average male, that will add an extra 8.6 years of healthy life to your life expectancy. Not just 8.6 years in total, but 8.6 years of healthy, productive years. And for a female, that figures 10.6 extra healthy productive years so those eight to ten years those that's a huge gain that's the 
the difference between seeing your grandchildren start secondary school and you know qualify from university yeah. Th- those are really really important years so that's the outcome i'm attached to when i choose how to eat when to sleep and when to exercise I think that distinction is is vital between extra years and extra healthy years because it you know you talk about lopping off years off the end of your life when you when you engage in certain behaviors and certain long-term habits which compound over time um but and I think that people people have this they almost justify things because they go and I certainly have I certainly have um I used to drink quite heavily for example and I, I think the justification that that comes up a lot is well what's the point in living longer if you're not enjoying yourself and the, what i've what i've learned uh, over the years is in fact being in better health and being fitter and being healthier and not um you know is i still have a drink now and again but i'm not mm. I, I don't have an issue with drinking like i used to um and I'm, i feel much better for it and i actually have a lot more fun for it and I, I i approach fitness and health as almost like a currency which you can spend on certain things you know the the health the fitness is not an end goal it's a it's like money it's not the it's not the end it's the means to an end and the end is quality of life and in doing things you enjoy everything's more difficult if you're unfit and unhealthy and and that in, that includes the stuff that you want to partake in which are you know hobbies interests and and the stuff which makes life meaningful and you, you're absolutely right and you know the the evidence when we look at it pushes back against against this concept i've had people say this to me i mean a lot of the evidence that supports particularly a healthy whole food plant-based diet which is what my book is all about a lot of the evidence a lot of the papers um look specifically at reduced death okay so avoiding premature death but so when i talk to people about you know pursuing a healthier approach to food and life in general um, because it'll add years to their life they will often say oh but those are the 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 i don't want an, an extra i don't want it to, to be like in a nursing home or you know in a hospitalized yeah. in bed those are the terrible years they're the uh the d- disability years that i don't want extra years like that but it's just not true as you know jay it's about adding more quality years to your life so for example heart disease okay so cardiovascular disease, it's the number one killer of humans in the world. Yep. In the UK, 160,000 people every year die from heart disease. About 23,000 of them will be uh, premature deaths. They'll be young people. And that doesn't even account for all the trips to the emergency department, all the prescriptions for statins and blood pressure lowering medications, all the trips to the cath lab to have stents put into your heart, the angina, the reduced exercise tolerance, the feeling breathless running after your children or grandchildren. So it, it, cardiovascular disease is a really big problem here in the UK. And because it's so common, we view it as inevitable. We think it's just part of getting older, that when I get into my 50s, I'll have high cholesterol. In my 60s, I'll be on a statin. Then in my 70s, I'll have chest pain. Then one day, I'll have a heart attack and then I'll die. And that's just what happens to humans. But of course, it doesn't have to be like that at all, um, because by uh, by adopting the healthy habits that we mentioned earlier, um, avoiding smoking, reducing your alcohol intake, exercising, regularly consuming the more you know putting a real emphasis on fruits vegetables whole grains and legumes in in your diet you can reduce your personal risk of ever having this prevalent disease by up to 95 percent you can make yourself almost heart attack proof and that's not just about living longer it's about having it's about living better and having a, a better quality life so at the start, I, I mentioned to everyone that you're a gastroenterologist and that's a word which maybe people have never heard or it's a word that people have heard and aren't sure entirely what it means. What, what does that actually mean? What's your area of expertise? Yeah, so I'm, just, so I'm a medical doctor. Um, I'm a full-time NHS consultant. I also have a small private clinic um, and a gastroenterologist and general physician. So I, I'm, I'm qualified in both uh, general medicine, but also gastroenterology, which means that not only do I focus on general medical health, but I'm very much um, focused on gut health. So anyone who's seen a specialist for a gastroscopy or a colonoscopy uh, has probably met a gastroenterologist. Anyone with something like irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, diverticular disease may have sometime met a gastroenterologist. And of course, it's a great time to be a gastroenterologist and it's a gay um i think in recent years we've seen people really 
realizing in the mainstream how just how important gut health and the food that we eat is to our overall health. I mean, I often quote, um, you know, Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine, uh, two and a half thousand years ago, um, who taught his uh, philosophers in the fifth century BC, ancient Greece, that, you know, all disease begins in the gut. And I remember hearing that years ago in medical school and thinking, okay, yeah, that's, you know, that's something they probably said in the fifth century BC, because they didn't really understand medicine, you know, it was just like, um, so Hippocrates also famously um, may or may not have said, you know, let food be thy medicine. So he put a great emphasis on food and gut health. But of course, now in 2020, the evidence absolutely supports what Hippocrates said in those, you know, two and a half centuries ago, that food is incredibly important. Gut health is incredibly important. Gut microbial health is incredibly important. And if we want to optimize all of these things, the fewer the fewer processed foods that we eat, the fewer junk foods, so I eat the more whole foods that we consume, and the fewer animal products, the more plant products, i.e. plant-based foods that we consume, the better for both our gut health, our gut microbial health, and, and our overall health. So it really, although within medicine, we tend to departmentalize ourselves into gastroenterologists uh, who look after the gut and cardiologists who look after the heart and neurologists who look after the brain. And we, you know, we wear those labels and our offices are in different parts of the building. But of course, the human body doesn't know about these departments and doesn't know about these different specialties. It's just one, it's just one big system and it's impossible to separate these things out. I think I've seen more and more discussion over the years about, about gut health um, being so intrinsic to overall health. And I, I've seen it coming up more and more and more over the past kind of five to yeah, I guess five plus years. Um, I mean, I've been working in health and fitness for about um, for about eight or nine years. And prior to that, I had kind of a general interest in it as a as a science teacher who was just kind of interested in the in the body and all the rest of it. And it seems that there's more and more research being done on it, and there's um, there's more and more evidence coming out that supports certain habits and certain ways of doing things, which are so uh, so good for, like you said, the gut the gut health, the gut microbiome. In fact, for, for those of those people who are listening, again, the term microbiome is is thrown around so much in the in the media now because, you know, thankfully it's getting a lot more airtime, gut health in general. Um, but what what exactly is the microbiome? Well, so the gut microbiome, so human beings, as we see ourselves, you know, modern humans um, have existed for about 200,000 years. Um, so we're very complex organisms, big multicellular organisms, and we think of ourselves as being these, this single entity, um, you know, walking around doing what we do, dominating the world, etc. Yeah. But, but, but in fact, we're not single entities because within our, all over our body, but particularly within our, the lower part of our gut and the large bell, we are carrying with us hundreds of trillions of other living things. Uh, bacteria, viruses, yeasts, and archaea. And these are microorganisms. These are the bugs of the human gut microbiome. And although we're very complex organisms that evolved about 200,000 years ago, our gut microbes are actually very, very ancient forms of life. These are, you know, very far closer to the very first forms of life that evolved on the planet Earth like three and a half billion years ago. And we're still carrying them around inside our tummies. And what the research has shown in the last 20 or 30 years is that not only are they there, but they're incredibly important regulators of human health. In fact, they've been described as a control center for human physiology. So as you can imagine, we are their natural environment. So our health depends on their health and their health depends on our health. And we can really optimize our gut microbiome um, by making smart food choices and certain other behaviors that can really improve our gut microbial diversity and help our gut bugs to help, uh, help us to stay healthy. So obviously your book is called The Plant-Based Diet Revolution and you've mentioned about eating more plant-based foods, whole food especially, rather than um, kind of the processed versions and things like that. Mm. What, are, what are some of the effects of eating more plant-based foods? Uh, what are those effects on the microbiome and on gut health as a whole? 
So if you want a healthy gut microbiome, um, so we already said there's hundreds of trillions of little bugs in there. And if you look at the bacteria, those are the ones we know the most about. So what you want in your gut microbes is a diversity of microbes. You want lots and lots and lots of different beneficial microbes who can benefit you in numerous different ways. So we know that by one way to maximize your gut microbial diversity, perhaps the best way, perhaps the only way, is to eat a wide variety of plants. So in the Western world, we don't eat a wide variety of plants. In fact, thanks to the standard Western diet, we get about nine percent of our calories from plants so we don't get a huge variety of plants and a few years ago the american gut project looked at the gut microbiomes of like 11,000 healthy volunteers in high-income countries and they found that by eating more than 30 different plants per week you unlock serious microbial diversity you also increase you uh, foster the growth of certain fiber-loving bacteria that are really beneficial to human health through the production of short-chain fatty acids and other beneficial products. But they also found, Jay, that, and that statistic I've, I've seen in the mainstream in, in like weekend magazines, you know, aim for 30, more than 30 plants per week. But the, what, what's less mentioned is that within the American Gut Project, fewer than one in 250 people were hitting that's 30 different plants per week. So it's really rare in countries that have embraced the standard Western diet to hit that diversity. If you're eating a whole food plant-based diet, you're getting half your food as fruits and vegetables, and the remainder are whole grains and legumes and nuts and seeds and healthy plant-based oils, just like the recipes in the book, you will find yourself without any effort whatsoever consuming 50 or 60 different plants per week, um, really achieving a level of plant diversity and gut microbial diversity that's like rarely seen in high income countries or in the Western world. So number one, eating more plants unlocks that diversity. Number two, the nice thing about all of these plant foods, these plant based foods, is that instead of getting your calories wrapped up with like cholesterol and heme iron and saturated fat, and all these other products that we find in, in animal products, you're getting your calories wrapped up with things like vitamin A and vitamin C and vitamin E and B vitamins and folate and potassium and magnesium and phytonutrients and antioxidants and all these super healthy things. But you're also getting all of your calories wrapped up with different types of fiber. So fiber uh, is a sort of type of complex carbohydrate that you can only get from eating plants. And when you consume your plants, your bowl of porridge or your beans on toast or whatever you're having, whole grain toast, I'm hoping, <laughs> you by the time you've digested it, the fiber the human body can't digest. That fiber is food for your gut microbiome. And by feeding those bugs fiber, you promote the growth of more and more and more of the bacteria that enjoy consuming fiber. And not only do they consume it, but by consuming it as their own energy source, they produce these byproducts called short-chain fatty acids. We can only get short-chain fatty acids by feeding our microbes fiber. That's the only way to get them in the human diet. Okay, And why is that important? Because when our microbiome produces these short-chain fatty acids, they are rapidly absorbed by our gut and into our bloodstream. And not only do these short-chain fatty acids help to maintain the integrity of the lining of our gut, the lining cells in our colon get 70% of their energy from these things, from short-chain fatty acids. They also enter our bloodstream. They help to control our appetite and help to uh, control our blood sugar. They help to reduce chronic inflammation. There's even emerging science, Jay, that they may even help to improve our mood. So by eating more plants, you're increasing your gut microbial diversity, your getting your calories wrapped up in all of these incredibly beneficial substances, but you're also supercharging the fermentation process and generating more short-chain fatty acids. And when we look at the studies comparing omnivores to vegetarians and vegans, we see that vegetarians and vegans, their gut microbiome performs all of those functions better than omnivores. It's fascinating. And there's something you touched on there about the lining of the gut, which I just wanted to draw out because mm. it's um, it's something that I see a lot because the 
the melting pot of social media and everyone's opinions nutrition has become this um this battleground of 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 dogma in various ways and i'm sure that you see it a lot because i know you're active on instagram and uh people have got these very strong viewpoints on on what you should and shouldn't be eating not necessarily from a medical perspective a science-based perspective uh but just because this this happens to be the way they see things now everyone's obviously entitled to their own opinion um but what that opinion is based upon is vitally important in terms of whether you should then be promoting that to other people something which has come up um recently in the past year or two i i've seen this this carnivore diet where it's the exact opposite of the plant-based way of eating where it's like don't eat any plants and it's like this knee-jerk reaction to to the to the body of evidence weighting more towards um whole food plant-based eating now just for the people listening as well whole food plant-based as a way of eating and then there's veganism which people will be will see a lot of crossover with veganism is uh you know obviously an ideology and uh, more of an ethical standpoint whereas whole food plant-based is more of a health standpoint and yes there is a lot of crossover um so I've seen these people talking about carnivore diet and one of the things they've talked about is the lining of the gut and about re rebuilding the lining of the gut by only eating animal products and talking about uh, leaky gut syndrome and all of these kind of things which are which are which are bandied about and saying that's been blaming it on certain things like whole grains and stuff like that which are making leaky gut worse due to things like gluten which is obviously a popular villain um I was just wondering what your what your take on that would be. Well, the first thing to say, Jay, is that when I talk about eating a whole food plant-based diet as a really healthy way to eat, I'm not saying anything controversial. No. So it's it's widely recognized. We you know we the Eat Lancet report published in February last year, which was an international panel of experts who rec- who looked at you know forty years of evidence. They looked at dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of studies on millions of individuals, both observational and interventional science, and recommended exactly what I described earlier: half your food should be fruits and vegetables, the remainder should be whole grains, plant protein sources, and unsaturated plant oils. They recommend recommended looking at the evidence that the animal products should be viewed as optional. And if you're eating animal products, you will only get benefits from replacing those animal products with plant products. So bean burritos instead of beef burritos. Okay. So beans on toast instead of eggs on toast. Those are healthy swaps every single time. When they looked at the evidence on meat consumption, they said, yes, it can be a part of a healthy diet, but as I said earlier, if you replace it with plants, you'll improve your health, number one. Number two, if you are consuming those products, it should be small amounts. They recommended about 30 grams of chicken or fish per day, half an egg or seven grams of red meat each day. On red meat in particular, they were very, very clear. Um, They said that the safest amount of red meat to consume is probably zero. But because it's very difficult to show harm at low levels of consumption, they settled on seven grams of red meat per day, which really would amount to eating maybe one red meat meal per month, essentially. Right. And more than that, you're going to be doing yourself harm. So the the people who somehow criticize a plant-based diet as being extreme or unusual or more about ethics and environment than about health are, are clutching at straws. We know that if, if we could click our fingers in the morning, Jane, get everyone to eat a plant-based diet, we'd, we'd prevent 12 million adult deaths per year globally. The benefits are you know, very, very mainstream. And you can argue about the nitty gritty. You, know, you can go really deep into the woods on this, but a, a plant-based diet has been endorsed as a healthy option by the British Dietetic Association, the American Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, the Canadian Healthy Eating Guidelines, the American Cancer Society, the World Health Organization. Earlier this year, we saw the American Medical Association, one of the biggest professional bodies for doctors in the world, writing to the people who write the dietary guidelines for Americans, the the USDA, asking asking them on behalf of the doctors of America, asking the dietary guidelines to take meat and dairy out as um, food groups. 
um, recognizing that they're not essential and they drive disease. None of those organizations that I just mentioned have any other agenda other than improving public health. They're not, you know, they, they have no ulterior motive. They're not in the pockets of the broccoli industry. They're not, <laughs> they're not being paid off by Big Bean. They're just trying to get people healthier. And none of them have recommended a carnivore diet. And I tell you why. Because a carnivore diet, we just talked a few moments ago about all the benefits that we can get from eating more plants. So forget all those. We've, you're not getting any of those benefits. Okay, yeah. you're not getting the fiber, the phytonutrients, all the vitamins, the vitamin C, and all these other substances that are so necessary for human health. We talked about earlier about how plant protein is a much healthier option than animal protein, reducing your risk of type two diabetes, heart disease, hypertension, and stroke. So you're getting the opposite of all those benefits. Um, when you're eating meat, you're getting your calories wrapped up in a bundle of heme iron, which is the form of iron you get from eating muscle. Um, and blood, and when that gets into your gets into your gut, it's pro-inflammatory. It increases your risk of bowel cancer. When you take muscle and fat, which is what humans are predominantly made out of, and you expose it to a lot of heat, it's like a little chemistry experiment. You form these new chemicals called uh, like PAHs and HCAs, which again are carcinogenic in humans. You are consuming high amounts of second of uh, saturated fats that are predominantly found in animal products. Very difficult to find them in the plant world. You can find them. If you get coconut oil or palm oil, you can get them. But generally, saturated fats are hard to find in plants, but you get plenty of them in meat. And when you consume those saturated fats, remember earlier I talked about how eating plants promotes these healthy bacteria? Yeah. Well, if you're eating saturated fats, you're promoting the, these bacteria that love saturated fat um, to flourish in your gut microbiome. And those bugs, um, end, you know, what, the end result of that is that you end up with these things called secondary bile acids in your gut, which are carcinogenic and cause colorectal cancer. You're also consuming cholesterol at every single meal. The more cholesterol you eat, the higher your blood cholesterol, the higher your risk of heart attack and stroke. There's no cholesterol in plants. So you're, you're losing that advantage by going carnivore. You're also consuming a lot of choline uh, and carnithine, which are, which are these substances found in meat and eggs. You can find some in plants as well. You'll get them in things like beans and oats and cauliflower, but you'll get them in much higher concentrations in meat and eggs. And when you consume carnithine and choline, you're feeding the gut microbes that like carnitine and choline. And what they do with that carnitine and choline is they turn it into a substance called TMA, trimethylamine. It's made by your gut microbiome when you eat meat and eggs, and it's absorbed into your bloodstream. Your liver turns into something called TMAO, which increases systemic inflammation. And if you measure someone's blood level of TMAO, a bug that is only in your bloodstream because you've eaten meat and eggs and your gut microbes are turning it into TMAO. If, you, if I measure your TMAO level, it's a really useful test to predict your risk of heart disease and stroke. So you're, you're, you're leveraging all these really negative things within your body. Um, and sure, if you're only eating meat, um, you may lose weight because you lose water weight. We saw this paper published earlier this year. Um, it's um, pre-release, actually. It should be coming to a journal sometime soon. A chap called Kevin Hall in the US. So he took a, a group of volunteers. He's got this great setup where he brings you into a ward and you just live there and they feed you and they just measure everything. Okay, so he got the volunteers to do two weeks on a whole food plant based diet and two weeks on a high carb, low fat diet. Excuse me, uh, uh, two weeks on a whole food plant based diet and then two weeks on the opposite. So a high fat, low carb diet, which is a good approximation of a carnivore diet or a ketogenic diet. Yep. And what he saw is when the people were eating the ketogenic diet, sure, they lost weight, but it was mostly water and muscle. It wasn't fat. They were losing water and muscle. So they were stepping onto their weighing scales. Like, oh, great. I've lost a few pounds. This is wonderful. But they weren't losing weight in a healthy manner. He also saw that their 
cholesterol shot up, their inflammatory markers went up, their insulin sensitivity reduced. So they were on their way to developing type 2 diabetes. So there's, a, there's really good reasons why no group recommends a carnivore diet. Most of the uh, dietary guidelines in the world, even if they're not explicitly plant-based, they're completely compatible with a whole food plant-based diet. There are no guidelines. I just have a big red chunk of steak in the middle. And I'll I'll give the the carnivore diet some credit though for removing all processed and junk foods. That's a healthy healthy thing to do. Because, you know, in the UK, we get 55% of our calories from highly processed junk foods which contain a lot of artificial additives like maltodextrin and polysorbate and all these chemicals that are made in a factory and then stirred into the mix when you're making a junk food to make them feel nice in your mouth and make them tasty and shelf stable so these things have no business in the human gastrointestinal tract so the the carnivore diet gets rid of all that junk and all the processed sugar so i'm going to give them props for that but sadly they choose to replace them with some of the unhealthiest foods known to man i think it's um it's it's really interesting how these um extremes like the carnivore diet become so popular because people are looking for a a magic bullet that is going to give them an answer quickly um and and so anything which sounds extreme and sexy is is kind of like it seems to get this it, it seems to get people's attention you know it's a marketing thing more than anything and it sells mm. it, it sells programs and all the rest of it, it gets people known online because it is controversial and when you look at like you said earlier on there's nothing controversial about a plant-based diet because as you said it is completely compatible with stuff that we've known for a long time and you only have to look at the 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 data when you see countries with low levels of obesity low levels of um kind of chronic lifestyle related diseases and high levels of um or high longe- longevity like countries like Japan and places like that which have got a very highly plant-based diet um whereas the the damage which a carnivore diet could potentially do that we know on a kind of micro level and, and guys like you obviously have, have looked into the mechanisms of we haven't got the kind of the data long term to bear that out mm. yet because people haven't been doing it that long no, but uh, I guess what, you're right about the magic bullet thing. And I suppose, you know, you got to admire the simplicity of this program. You know, just um, what's the answer? Just eat meat. So, <laughs> you know, that that's really simple. But of course, you know, in the 20th century, our food systems changed. And we already, um, you know, we moved to the standard Western diet, which is a high animal product, high meat, high dairy, high egg, high processed food, high junk food low in fruits, low in vegetables, low in whole grains, um, low in healthy whole carbohydrates. So as the standard Western diet spread around the world, people started eating more meat than ever before in the history of humankind. So in the US, um, the US in 2018 hit peak meat is what the USDA DA called it, um, about 100 kilos of meat per person per year. Wow. Here in the UK, we don't quite hit that. We hit, hit about 86 kilograms of meat per person per year, which is also the weight of the average UK male. So we are eating our body weight in meat every year. So the um, the carnivore diet solution, the Atkins diet solution, because we've heard about, is to just eat more meat. So, you know, these this is one of the driving disease. We talked about the gut microbes a, a minute ago or earlier in the conversation. Um, a group of researchers at Harvard, Harvard University a few years ago, even before the carnivore diet existed or was talked about publicly, they put some volunteers, some students on a, um, on a carnivore diet. And in just four days, they recorded substantial unhealthy, deleterious changes in their gut microbiome. And when we look at the long-term science on this thing, we know that red meat in particular um, is a very unhealthy food to consume. There's a chap called Sean Baker. I'm sure you've heard him interviewed. You know, he's been on like Joe Rogan a few times. And yep. he, he's really one of the guys in the mainstream who has popularized this approach to food. And, you know, he's a very macho guy. He hits the gym a lot. He's all about the muscle gains and all that sort of thing. And that's absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with, with taking that approach to fitness. But he's he, he used to be a medical doctor. I think he lost his license for some reason. He used to be an orthopedic surgeon. But I, I did hear him on the Joe Rogan podcast after a 
year of eating a carnivore diet. He got all his blood work done. And they went through it. And it was absolutely mind-bending to hear him reading out his blood results that showed that he had renal failure, very close to having type 2 diabetes, and had very low serum testosterone. So really markers of poor health. But he was somehow able to rationalize it all and explain that the norms of medicine and the normal laboratory values don't apply to Sean Baker. And I think when you when you get to that point, if you're a doctor who endorses a carnivore diet, and then you're faced with the evidence of your own biological functioning on that diet, and it's terrible, but you still are able to rationalize it, then you've gone past medicine and health and evidence-based practices, and and you're just really, you know, very deep into dogma. You, you yeah. you've lost you've lost sight of the ultimate goal. Yeah, absolutely. You've become you've become attached more to the message than you are to actually the the finding the 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 best route forward. One of the things that you mentioned earlier on, you're talking about replacing uh, animal proteins with uh, plant-based proteins in in your diet and when when i talk to anyone about this particular topic it's something which comes up a lot especially in the fitness industry mm. where everyone does love to talk about protein and um, I'm, I'm i'm curious to as to what your take on that is and in terms of you know if people are training and people think that they need a certain amount of protein um, can they get that from plants how much protein do they really need uh, what, what would what would be your your answer to kind of allay those fears yeah it's, it's yeah everybody wants to know about protein okay and oh, actually yeah. because, you know for that reason in my book the plant-based diet revolution although we don't give the full nutritionals on every single meal or on the 28-day meal plans although there's a website that we link to in the book so if you really want that level of detail you can go to um alandesmond.com forward slash revolution and you can download all the nutritionals because the because this food is nutritionally complete but we gave the um protein per serving on every single recipe, because I know people will be worried about that. And the the meals, the main meals contain an average of 25 grams of protein per serving. The meal plans, which have three meals a day. Um, so if you're just eating those three meals a day with no extra snacks or anything, you'll be getting 70 grams of plant-based protein per day. And the reason you're getting all that protein, even though you're having porridge for breakfast and parsnip and lentil soup for tea and you're having harissa uh, aubergine and spinach stew and a few choco beanie brownies for pudding that that doesn't sound like a high protein meal plan to people but it is a high protein meal plan because plants contain protein so for an average person you need about 0.7 grams per kilogram body weight is how much protein you need every day. And it's important because it helps you to build muscle and hormones and function. And it's really, really important for human health that you have enough protein in your diet. A protein deficient diet is not good for you at all in the long run. Um, so if you're an 80 kilogram person, which is slightly lighter than the average UK male, you'll be needing about 55 to 60 grams of protein per day. But there's plenty of protein in beans, so 55 to 60 grams. If Just for illustration, and I'm not recommending that anybody does this, but if you just decided to eat black beans all day, you'd get, so you got all of your calories for the day, say 2,000 calories of beans, you get 100 grams of protein. So that's a lot of protein from just eating beans. And if you're eating a healthy whole food plant-based diet, it's very difficult to avoid protein. Because if you're eating beans and legumes and lentils and all those healthy foods and things like tofu and tempeh and oats and beans and lentils and nuts and chickpeas and whole grains and brown rice, you are automatically going – and you're eating enough calories, you will easily hit 70 or 80 grams of protein per day. And when we look at the evidence in the US, we see that those eating a healthy, completely plant-based diet get an average of 70 grams of protein per day. When we look at the same data out of Belgium, we see the figure is 80 grams of protein per day. So there's plenty of protein in plants. If you need more protein, just eat more food. And if you're someone who, so for example, the meal plans in my book contain about 17 to 1800 calories per day. 
and they're you know the 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 meals are things like you know there's um like a tempeh bolognese we've got lots of stews we've got a um we've got you know burgers we've got salads you know everything you'd expect to find in a cookbook written by someone living in the uk um they're all in there but the the amount of protein that's in there is going to be more than you need the calories in the meal plans comes comes out about 1800 calories per day so if you just need 1800 calories per day eat this food and it contains 70 grams of protein per day if you're a professional rugby player and you need to consume three and a half thousand calories per day because you're training and you're big if you double up on those meal plans and you just eat double portions of everything you're going to be getting your three and a half thousand calories per day and you're going to be getting about 150 grams of protein per day which is more than enough to be healthy um, and it's funny, you know, Jay, we always think of protein and carbohydrates and fats. We think of them as nutrients. We think of them as food groups. But of course, this is the stuff that the human body is made out of. That's yep. why we need to eat them. So it's the building blocks um, to build a healthy human body. And I, I appreciate it when people ask me, what about protein? Because it's one of the most enduring myths about a plant-based diet that it's protein deficient so hopefully i've just convinced you that a whole food plant-based diet isn't protein deficient and the other reason for being really pleased that someone has asked me that is because it's an opportunity to let them know that by choosing to get their protein alongside all their other calories from plants instead of from meat and other animal products is it's actually they're making one of the healthiest decisions they could possibly make, reducing their risk of things like inflammatory bowel disease, heart disease, bowel cancer, type 2 diabetes, and other diseases. We saw a paper published just this year looking exactly at this reason, at this question. A paper published um, out of the universe in the British Medical Journal, um, Harvard University and the University of Tehran um, looked at data so data on 700,000 US adults followed um, for 30 years. Um, and they had US adults, but they also had people from around the world in high income countries and low income countries. And they just looked at protein and health outcomes. And two really important findings. Number one, getting enough protein is important but we don't need as much as you think, as I just said. But secondly, the choice of protein is crucial. So every for every 3% increase in calories from plant protein instead of animal protein, the risk of the people dying due to any reason whatsoever during the 30 years of follow-up reduced by 5%. So even small changes can be really beneficial. I think as well that like the that last line there small changes can be really beneficial is something that I think is is so uh, vital to to get across to people because again people are so used to seeing extremes and people are so used to seeing um, kind of the the marketing done around health and fitness in a certain way that they're that they're expecting that you have to be all or nothing right we're, we're very much sucked into this all or nothing philosophy whether it's around health fitness business relationships whatever where it's just it just happens to be the society in which we live I think but um, when when we make those small changes that's that it, it's not like it reaches a tipping point before you get an effect each little step you take allows for a certain amount of improvement in outcomes right absolutely and just by getting more of your calories from more healthy foods you will realize benefits but there isn't i mean i think the evidence is very clear if we look at the um you mentioned earlier you mentioned about the Japanese, and I think you're referring to Okinawa, where people, yeah. you know, when these dietary blue zones, one of the dietary blue zones, or one of the places in the world where people live the longest and healthiest lives, is among the Seventh-day Adventists of Loma Linda, California. And this is a group of individuals in the US, which is a really unhealthy country generally, who live longer and healthier lives you know the females live 11 years longer than the u.s average and one of the key reasons is that they eat a, a healthy 
largely unprocessed and largely plant-based diet. They do that for religious reasons. So they consume far fewer animal products than the US average, um, only about 50 grams of meat per day, which is less than 50% of the average US uh, consumption, right? But among that group, we've got people who here in the UK, you might describe them as flexitarian, so they have a small amount of meat and eggs and dairy. And then you've got the semi-vegetarians, the pesco-vegetarians who are like vegan plus fish. You've got the lacto-ovo-vegetarians, so milk, eggs, and veggies. And then you've got the people who are completely plant-based. And the evidence shows that as you take out those animal products one by one, and you put in more plants, the rates of obesity and type 2 diabetes just come down in a stepwise manner. So each one of those steps is really, really beneficial. And you can decide for yourself how many steps are you going to take. Are you going to become like 90% plant-based, 100% plant-based? I, I really hope, although I know it's a little bit unrealistic, I would really hope that once people have experienced what it's like to eat a completely whole food plant-based diet, that they would make the decision to commit to that either long-term or 90% long-term. So I really hope that people will buy the book and try all the yummy recipes in there. But at the in the third section of the book, um, we've got the 28-day revolution, yeah. which is like a 28 days of hand-holding to guide you through a completely plant-based diet for 28 days. Um, which has all the meal plans and the shopping lists and a day-to-day -day cooking guide. So it basically tells you, okay, it's Tuesday. Here's what you're cooking today. And it just brings you through it step by step. And the evidence is really, really clear that even in those first 28 days of completely plant-based eating, you can really kickstart healthy weight loss, lower your cholesterol, improve your blood, control, uh, blood sugar control, reduce systemic inflammation. You can even reduce your cancer risk in just 28 days. And all of those beneficial changes we talked about in the gut microbiome, those can also start within the first 28 days. So if it's extreme to recommend a way of eating that is based completely on plants, that reduces your risk of all these chronic diseases, not to mention being better for the environment, better for animals, reducing the risk of further pandemics like the COVID-19 pandemic, I mean, if, if it's if it's radical or extreme to recommend a diet that achieves all of that, then you can call me extreme if you want. <laughs> but um, so there, that would make me an extremist, I guess. But I think the evidence really, really supports every statement in the book. The 28 days idea is is fantastic because I think that people become overwhelmed with like like we were just discussing about trying to do everything all at once and and this idea of all or nothing and people going oh well I couldn't live without this or that or I you know I can't see how my family would get on board with doing these things um, and we we see all these obstacles in our way and we see all these barriers and that 28 days of hand holding as you put it is 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 absolutely brilliant because it will allow people who get hold of this book and who who work through that to um have you there with them in a sense isn't it and yeah. just kind of yeah. and 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 give you that um give you give them that support and advice and encouragement because it's not just about the science it's not just about why it's so good for you because that's not enough it's how do you actually do it and showing i mean like you do on your instagram and and the content you put out it's not just about education but it's also about showing people i know you're a big fan of showing people what you eat for example and people saying oh actually this isn't just salad all the time. This looks like really nice, tasty, hearty, um, filling, satisfying food. And that's really important. And it, yeah, yeah, I am one of those Instagram people who takes photographs of his food, but I do it with a very genuine intention, as you said, because I'll show the food and then explain why I like to eat like this and why I recommend it and advocate for it. Because one of the big things we need to do is demystify this. And people will have heard, you know, in as you, you mentioned it in the kind of in the mainstream, people are hearing from doctors and dietary guidelines about the benefits of plant-based eating. They might also be hearing from people like Lewis Hamilton, Dotsie yep. Bausch, uh, David Beckham even recently was talking about the benefits of eating more plants. They may have seen like movies like The Game Changers on Netflix, but all that science is really compelling. 
it's really interesting to hear people talk about the benefits they've realized themselves. But when people want to make this change themselves and join this plant-based diet revolution that's going on right now, it can seem intimidating. So when we designed the book, and I worked with my really good friend, uh, Bob Andrew, on designing the recipes, we really wanted the recipes to be like not intimidating, yep. just like the food I show on, on my Instagram account. So we, you know, we've got things like um, spicy baked beans with sweet potatoes or banana and, and blueberry pancakes, winter barley stew, a goulash hot pot. Uh, pecora bean burgers with sweet potato chips. So, so the food looks great. You're it making me hungry great. right now, mate. This is yeah, I'm making like... myself hungry. <laughs> <laughs> it all sounds so good. But it's it, but it, but it's got to pass that test. And when we were designing the meals and the recipes and the shopping lists, we um, kind of applied what we called the Sainsbury's test, which means that these are things that are going to be available on the high street with very little effort. It's just about wandering in to. To maybe an aisle in the supermarket that you're not used to wandering into, but it's all there. And although the people can dip in and eat as many of those meals as they like, and then they hopefully will choose to experience the 28-day plan for themselves. Although, you know, Jay, they might just do a week. Yeah, um, because it's a, they might just do a week or they might do two weeks. Um, and in the book, then I've written all these really useful tips for making sure that you get through those four weeks successfully. Yeah, that is. It sounds like, you know, it's been. I know that you've put, you've poured so much effort into this book, and it's, it's been. Um, I mean, how how long has it taken you? It's, it's been, it's been a long time coming, hasn't it? I think it? it's, it's been in the pipeline for about two years. Yeah. Um, when I really seriously started writing during the first wave of the COVID pandemic. Um, so during those months in the spring, there was about eight weeks where I suspended my practice as a gastroenterologist um, because I was working on the coronavirus ward, yes. um, which was just an incredibly, look, obviously very stressful, obviously, on the individuals who were hospitalized and affected by this thing. So many tragic cases. Um, just it was it was just very very stressful um, being in the thick of that on the front line. The patients were incredible. The staff I work with were incredible, and that's everything from like the the doctors and the nurses to the physician assistants to the carpenters who put new doors up on the wards overnight uh, to the catering staff who were there in full PPE bringing meals into people with COVID. Just, just to be there was a privilege to be part of the team responding to that first wave of COVID. But it was also incredibly stressful and incredibly difficult and incredibly upsetting and incredibly demanding. But during that, during that period of time, we were working three days on and three days off um, so doing long shifts for three days and then three days off, three days on standby and then back on shifts again. So my family, my wife and kids, um, before the lockdown started, went to stay with my in-laws because I was going to be working on the coronavirus ward. I didn't want to be coming home to my wife and kids every evening straight off the ward. So we just separated for about eight weeks. So I did most of the writing during that period, actually, during my days off. And it was just really... It was actually quite therapeutic, actually, yeah. to step away. And everything was shut down, as you remember. The, the village I live in was like a ghost town. So most of the writing happened then. Um, and at the time, I remember thinking, look, is anyone ever going to buy a book again? You know, it, it was just <laughs> yeah. so apocalyptic. Yeah. Um, but as we learned more about the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, about the way that individuals affected by COVID who had these pre-existing conditions like type 2 diabetes or obesity or overweight or hypertension or high cholesterol, those individuals are hit so much harder by coronavirus and accounted for most of the fatalities in the first wave of the pandemic. So when we learned about that, and also when we learned about the origins of this pandemic, which came from a meat market, and when we learn about the likely origins of future pandemics, which are most likely to come out of, um, you know, uh, from the 
from animal agriculture. That's where these pandemics come from. So the more we learned about the origins and the effects of the pandemic, the I, I just felt the more important this book was. And yeah. it, it really actually energized the writing and really helped me to crystallize the whole message in the book. That's fantastic. And it, I, I think that it more and more people are open to it now than have ever been open to it before. I think that a combination of the education around it, but also that, you know, from people like yourself, but also the... Um, the availability of of stuff in supermarkets that make this kind of thing easier, things like the selection of different plant milks uh, or milk substitutes or whatever we're allowed to call them now, it's basically none of that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but yeah. Um, the, those alternatives that are available now make it, the transition so much easier. And I think that combination of... Um, convenience and education is is that kind of perfect storm for helping people make the change so i think the timing of this book is is fantastic because it's going to give the people who are already in january thinking of making these changes um you know a few days into january the 7th again if people listening don't remember january the 7th this book comes out you can get it on pre-order so it's on your doorstep on that day and it gives you that that kickstart in your hands ready to go and i think it's i think people are really ready for that um if there's anyone listening to this now I've, my, my audience is mainly kind of busy business owners self-employed people small business owners and uh, professionals and things like that and if they want to make changes they have to be small you know i try and encourage people to make small changes to make small adjustments to their habits their routines because these are the things which compound over time and they're also the things which stick because they require a lot less motivation than these huge overhauls and doing things all at once if someone listening to this fit that category and wanted to make some changes to what they're eating to eat in a more plant-based way where would you suggest they started are there kind of one or two pointers that you could give to get people on the right track well, there's well, there's so much information out there that it can be a little bit of an overload. But let's keep it simple for your audience. Almost everybody's got Netflix. Yep. Just watch the Game Changers. Just watch the Game Changers documentary, and it will bust all of those myths about a plant-based diet. It'll bust all of those worries you have, and it will, you know, just allay your concerns. Really beautifully produced movie, very scientifically based. Whenever they make a scientific statement about the benefits of a plant-based diet, the scientific um, reference is right there on the screen. So if you're so minded, you can pause it and look up the paper or publication that they're talking about. And it's such a positive and encouraging and energizing documentary. So check that out. Then alongside the Game Changers, they have a Game Changers website, which has loads of recipes on it, some of them that were provided by some of the athletes that are in the documentary. So if you want to dabble a little bit before Christmas time, that's a great place to dabble. And you, it will really, um, I mean, in the last year, whenever, you know, when I have patients who come into my clinic, who I've been talking to about this for a while, and they just haven't made any changes because I just haven't been able to motivate them. I've had patients come into my clinic this year saying, hey, have you seen the Game Changers? Because I just watched <laughs> and now finally all that stuff you said has made sense yeah it's like that it, it that frustration that i feel sometimes as a parent where i've been saying something and then someone else says it like one of their friend's parents says oh what about this and then the kids do it and i'm just like look i've been saying that for months you sometimes <laughs> need to you need to hear it from an alternative um you know some some people might word it slightly differently or deliver it in a slightly different way and in fact i'm gonna try i've got a i've got a common uh a friend in common with james wilkes and i'm going to try and get him on for a chat because i think oh, that would be, be phenomenal absolutely, yeah, yeah i know it'd, it'd be, be absolutely fascinating um so yeah that, that, i think that it is a great thing to watch um so with that in mind when is when is when is the book out where can people get it um i know i've kept bringing it up anyway and telling people the date but just one final reminder and then in the meantime if people want to check you out where's the best place to kind of absorb some of your content and some of your uh, some of your education oh uh, cheers jay so if you go to alandesmond.com forward slash revolution you can learn more about the book, uh, The Plant-Based Diet Revolution, 28 Days to a Happier Gut and a Healthier You. It's published by Yellowkite. It's available on Amazon. It's available on bookshop.org.uk. Um, so you'll find it there. It's available to pre-order now, and it'll be on your doorstep on January the 7th, ready to kickstart your new year. And if you don't want to buy the book, but you do want to hear a bit more from me or see a bit more of my content, Instagram, really, um, at Dr. Alan Desmond. That's D-R dot Alan Desmond. You'll find me there. 
awesome stuff what i'll do as well is i'll put some clickable links in the episode description so if you're listening to this on anchor or you are listening to it on spotify uh, then those links will be clickable and who knows maybe some of the other platforms as well but not apple because apparently if you listen to this on apple podcasts then they just don't like making my links clickable so you'll have to go and look uh, look dr alan desmond up instead but yeah for some of you there'll be clickable links there and you can go and check his stuff out right now um alan mate it's been ab- an absolute pleasure chatting to you thank you so much for your time today and uh, I hope to chat to you again soon. Oh, likewise, Jay. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. It's um, great. Best of luck with the book launch as well. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Fit Body, Fit Mind with me, Jay Unwin. If you aren't already connected with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook, then you can find all the links in the podcast description or on my website at fitbodyfitmind.online. Until next time, stay fit, stay well, and have fun.